So our sermon series here at Christ United cover a, a wide variety of subjects. Some seasons we focus on particular themes that are important to our faith. Some seasons, like the one we just concluded, we take a, a bit of a lighter approach uh, by looking for theology and pop culture. Some seasons we focus on a particular book of the Bible. A couple of years ago, we began a new practice, a, a pattern that we intend to continue in the coming years. Our plan is that we'll kick off the back-to-school season each year by focusing on significant biblical characters, which is to say, uh, for the back-to-school sermon series each year, we'll be focusing on some of the most important people in our faith history. And we started this a couple of years ago uh, by talking about Adam and Eve. That makes sense. The first two characters in Scripture uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. And then last year, uh, we talked about the patriarch and matriarch of our faith, Abraham and Sarah. This year, we're going to be jumping ahead in the biblical narrative by about 700 years or so to the story of Moses and Miriam. Um, Miriam is going to be the subject next week when Reagan preaches. Moses is a big deal. <laughs> um, Moses has uh, four books that he appears in, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The only other character in Scripture that's got four books is who? Yeah, Jesus. Ooh, yeah, yes, exactly. <clears throat> so Moses is a, is a big deal. And to set the stage for his story, here's what you need to know. So as the, as the book of Genesis ends, God's people are in Egypt. They've fled from a famine uh, in the land to which God had led Abraham and Sarah, the promised land. So that as the book of Genesis ends, God's people are living as strangers in a foreign land. But at that point, things are going well for them, thanks to the leadership of Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. As the second book of the Bible, Exodus, the book of Exodus begins, we read this, the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Then the very next verse takes a pretty ominous turn. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And this new king uh, stirs up resentment against the foreigners who were thriving among the people of Egypt. And, we're told, so begins a centuries-long period of oppression and slavery for the people of God. A difficult period that would end up lasting 430 years. And things got so bad that at one point, Pharaoh ordered the murder of every male baby who was born to the Israelites. It's at this point that we're introduced to the baby Moses, whose mother, in a very famous story you may have heard of, puts him in a basket in the Nile River, hoping that an Egyptian would find him and have mercy on him. And sure enough, as Moses' older sister Miriam watched, Pharaoh's own daughter found the boy rescued him, unknowingly paid Moses' mother to be his nurse, and raised him as her very own son in the house of Pharaoh. And then the very next verse jumps to many years later when Moses is a young man. We're told that one day he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave, defending his fellow Hebrew. Moses kills the Egyptian, flees to Midian, marries the daughter of the local priest and starts a family. And we read, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose to God. All of that, <laughs> there are four books 
about Moses. That's two chapters of the first book. All that happens in the first two chapters. And then at that point, when Moses had been miraculously saved by his mother, had lashed out in defense of his people, and had fled into exile, it's at that point that God calls the most important leader in the history of God's people until the coming of Christ, 1,200 years later, to service. So Moses, big deal, 1,200 years, Jesus, but now we got to figure out what's going on with this Moses character. So uh, we're going to read the third chapter of Exodus. I'm going to read the first 12 verses now, and we'll come back and read the the rest later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant the author of Exodus. This is one of those stories that um, is a pretty common one in children's Sunday school. It's pretty common, even in pop culture, most people know about the burning bush. Here's how the story goes. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked And the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're calling the series Into the Wilderness because uh, the story of the Exodus is about the decades-long journey of God's people from slavery in Egypt through the desert to the promised land. The story of the Exodus is a story of revelation and deliverance and crisis. It's the story of Moses, his older sister Miriam, and their brother Aaron. It's the story of how God's people uh, truly became God's people through the covenant mediated by Moses, who comes to be known as the lawgiver. Now, this particular book has lots of very well-known stories. It's the, um, 
Stories like uh, the plagues and the first Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea and the golden calf, we are actually going to, to skip over those particular stories. They're important, well-known tales in our salvation history. To be sure, they deserve some attention. Uh, we're going to leave those stories for the Bible study that I'm teaching on Sunday afternoons beginning on September 18th. That is a shameless plug. You're going to have to come to Bible study if you want to hear more about those stories in detail. But the story that we're reading today, again, one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, we cannot skip over because it is impossible to understand either Moses or the Exodus itself without reading the third chapter of this incredible narrative that takes place on one of the most famous mountains probably the most famous mountain in our faith history. It's the, it's the very mountain where God will later give uh, God's people the law of the covenant. And it, it begins to tell the story of God's relationship with the most pivotal character in the Old Testament. Because while, while Adam was the prototypical first human being, and while Abraham is the patriarch of our faith, it is Moses, who led God's people into the covenant relationship that would define how we relate to God from, from this point until the new covenant in Christ. It's leadership that begins on holy ground before the burning bush. And just a, a side note here, the name Sinai, uh, by which Mount Horeb is better known, probably most famously known, it's Mount Sinai, actually derives from the Hebrew word for burning so Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the, same, are the same place. They're used interchangeably. And in this encounter, God, God tells Moses that he has seen the misery of God's people. He has heard the cry of God's people. God knows the sufferings of God's people. And now God will act through Moses to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. This is the, the defining moment for God's relationship with God's people as a whole, because previously God had interacted really just with individuals. So Adam and Eve had a special relationship with God, a relationship that went sideways pretty quickly. Noah and his family, a couple chapters later, are saved because of their righteousness before God, and that covenant was made with Noah specifically. Even Abraham and Sarah were blessed at the family level, which became the tribal level, with the covenant being made with them specifically and the promise of descendants to them specifically, but in the Exodus, God is, is saving an entire population. In the 12th chapter, we read that 600,000 men, plus the women and children, that's the way the Bible records it, would be led out of Egypt. And when they, when they arrive back at Mount Sinai, the entire population makes the covenant with God. It truly is a, a turning point in our relationship with God. And here, um, on holy ground before the burning bush, Moses gets the revelation that he will lead the confrontation with Pharaoh, that, that he will lead the journey into the wilderness, that he will lead the people back to, this, to that very place to worship God and to make the covenant official. And Moses' reply is, uh, I don't know about all that. He doesn't, think he, he doesn't think he can do it. You want me to do all this, God? Well, of course you know the answer is yes. Let's read the rest of the chapter. 
But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I declare that I will bring you up out of the, out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us now go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Of course, it turns out exactly like that. What will unfold from this point forward is, is one of the two defining events of the Old Testament. The Exodus is the beginning of the story of God's covenant with Israel. The exile is the, the other defining event of the Old Testament. And of course, as Christians, we believe that the resurrection of Christ in the New Testament is the event that changes everything. But it is impossible to understand everything that follows in our salvation history without understanding this foundational event. And it's Moses who gets the revelation first. That God sees, God hears, that God responds to our needs and this is the crucial point, that God responds to our needs through God's people, which is to say, in addressing the needs of the world, God calls us to action. In this very, very famous story, Moses gets the revelation first, I will send you, God says. And Moses hesitates, no doubt in part because the Pharaoh he knew had died. He's never met the new king who's, whom God is calling him to confront. God, on the other hand, does not hesitate. I'll be with you. Don't worry. It's one of the most persistent promises in the Bible. And in case anybody gives you a hard time, tell, <coughs> tell them I sent you, God said, revealing to Moses the divine name, Yahweh. And in this exchange, this foundational exchange in our faith history, one that we all need to know about, Moses becomes the first and the founding and the greatest prophet in Israel's history. He becomes the Old Testament figure who is closest to God, the miraculous figure who gets to see God face to face, as we'll read later in the book. The one who receives and presents Israel's founding uh, tablets, <laughs> the law of the covenant. Now, along the way, uh, he's going to get some help from his siblings. 
He's not perfect because nobody in Scripture is, with the exception of Jesus. And he has to deal with his own share of self-doubt and frustration and anger issues. We'll see here in a couple of weeks. But this, this dual revelation from God to God's first prophet sets the stage for the rest of the story. I will send you and I will be with you. I will send you and I will be with you. And to me, there's a great lesson here for us all in this famous story from our faith history. Now, our role is not as exalted as the role Moses plays, obviously. And God speaks to us in less dramatic ways, usually, at least, than the way God first appeared to Moses. But that revelation is the same today as it was way back then, seeing, hearing, knowing the needs of the world. God sends us, and God is with us on the journey. Our part, our response to that is to pay attention to the call. As we begin a new school year, the the needs of the world are great. I know you know that. The needs of our church family are great. And the question before us today is which of those needs are you and I called to meet? Because an essential part of the life of meaning is figuring out how, when, and where to serve God by serving God's children. By now, you're probably used to me giving a list of examples of ways to connect, uh, ways to plug in, ways to serve. We did that last week, actually. So I'm not going to do it today. Because I I trust that God is already at work (laughs) in you, already revealing to you what you need to know, even if God is more subtle these days than he was with Moses when they first met on holy ground. You may have heard me say the name Fred Beekner. Frederick Beekner is um, one of my favorite contemporary theologians. His writing's poetic, it's uh, practical, it's funny, it's poignant. He wrote a sermon that I'm sure he preached also, but I read it called The Magnificent Defeat, which is one of the best sermons I've ever read. And his daily devotional guide called Listening to Your Life is one that I turn to again and again. And on our subject for today, the theology of God revealing to us what God is calling us to do, who God is calling us to be, I'm reminded of something that Beekner once wrote. He says, God calls you to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. There is such a place for each of us. May God grant us the grace to find it.